Welcome everyone to Season 3, Episode 86 of the Premiere Pod. I'm your host, Yash Bika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we're going to be recapping the quarterfinal stages of the Champions League. Um, more ta- more specifically talking about some of the more the evergreen topics that happened, that came up during these crazy results in these one-legged ties. And to start things off, we have Lyon knocking out Manchester City 3-1 in a shock defeat. I mean, I don't think a lot of people saw this coming, especially... If you watched the Premier League, you thought Manchester City would just come in and dominate. But this is three straight quarterfinal defeats for the famous Pep Guardiola, the man that was brought into Manchester City to win a Champions League. And he has failed at doing that. Um, It's pretty interesting because he hasn't won a Champions League since 2011 when he won it with Barca, beating Manchester United at Wembley. That was the last time he's won a Champions League because... He's failed, obviously, that famous defeat against uh, Chelsea with Torres. And then you have his stint at Bayern, failed to get past Barcelona to win the Champions League. And now at City, he's failed to get past Liverpool, Tottenham, and now Lyon. Um, and it it's a little interesting when you think about it because I think the the thing that hurts Pep the most is I think he overthinks things a lot. You know, the the for as much as we praise him for being a tactical genius, I think in these knockout stages, I think he tries to over analyze, overthink his opponent. He tries to basically be two steps ahead of his opponent opponent. But by doing that, I feel like he hampers what his team can actually do because I think he overcompensates for what the other manager might do. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because in this game, you know. Part of the reason that Pep got a lot of flack, I feel like, in the Champions League knockout stages was that he was a manager that got caught out in the counterattack a lot. So, you know, we saw Liverpool do that all the way back in, uh, what was it, 2017-2018 season, where in the Champions League knockout stages, I mean, that's all they did was just hit them on the counterattack, and it worked. And we've seen teams basically like Tottenham do that, Manchester United do that. I mean, so many teams like Wolves have basically exploited City on the counterattack. Well, in this game... Pep started off the first half with basically three defensive midfielders with Gundogan, Fernandinho, and Rodri. It's weird because that that's not a very Pep thing to do. That's a very Jose Mourinho thing to do. Like if Jose Mourinho managed Manchester City, it would have been exactly what Pep did in the first half. Just have a blockade of, you know, center defensive midfielders and just, you know, set up shop like that. It was weird. It's not what Pep normally does. And in a way... Him kind of giving into his critics, he kind of lost the identity of what he is. And I know he brought that back in the second half, but at, but but at that point, I think the momentum had turned so much. And it, it's quite funny that the that the thing that that has hurt them the most this entire season is the defense. We've talked about it all season long. The defense has been the major sore spot. And ironically, the Dembele goal, the the first one that went in in the second half for Lyon, it was Laporte that made the mistake Laporte that made the bad pass and tried to make up for it with a strange tackle. He was the one that made the mistake that led in the goal. So it's been a calamity of errors defensively for Manchester city this whole season. And it's funny that it's coming from their best, literally the one that we call their best defender, their most consistent and best defender was the one that made the mistake. So it was a, an odd showing from Manchester city and Pep Guardiola, if I have to say. I know we we don't talk too much about tactics and like the setup of certain teams formations, but it really confused me why Pep Guardiola went out with, as you just mentioned, like three defensive midfielders and eventually Fernandinho dropped back to to be like a third center back. So it was Fernandinho, Eric Garcia, and then Emmerich Laporte. And having that three with Joao Cancelo and Kyle Walker on the left and right wing back positions it kind of confused me because man city clearly were going to be the dominant team going into this match and it'd probably be most likely leon who'd be trying to face them on the counter-attack and just kind of counter anything any tactics that pep Guardiola might have and sure enough that's literally what happened in terms of leon's setup because they had basically five defenders as well or or cornet at least playing as like a left wing back and I was thinking if, you know, Man City came out with their typical 4-3-3 or like a 4-2-3-1 at least and kind of played their own game the whole game, I think they would have done a lot better. And even Kevin De Bruyne in the post-match interview mentioned that saying 
it was a very slow first half for them. And then the second half, they started, you know, playing football a little better, just played their own game. And, you know, subbed on certain players like Riyad Mahrez. David Silva came on a little too late. But I think once they finally started just playing their own game, they started doing a little better. And, like, at that point, it was already too late. And with the results being 3-1, Kevin DeVarone kind of summed it up pretty well in the post-match interview with basically different year, same stuff. Where now Manchester City basically just been knocked out in the quarterfinals three seasons in a row, as you just mentioned. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say, like, there is what what can they do at this point? <laughs> it's like it's gonna it's the Money's same not result. The issue. Yeah, they, they've tried throwing money at it, and money hasn't solved the problem. Even when he was at Bayern, he tried buying a bunch of players, and it still didn't work. Literally, um, it's just it was just uh, Manchester City. I feel like kind of shooting themselves in the foot for some of these goals, like as you mentioned, Laporte's goal or Laporte's. Mistake, which led to Dembele's goal, and then also Raheem Sterling. He missed an open oh, goal. That's like, that. That's like a. It's a very Raheem Sterling miss, if I must say. But I thought those it was type like a of misses, Liverpool Raheem Sterling miss. Exactly. I like, thought at this point in his career, especially the season he's had with the amount of goals he scored, I thought that that type of miss was out of his locker. But my gosh, like he missed a completely open goal, and the defender mm-hmm. wasn't even anywhere near him. Yeah, so, he had time. He had space. He could have controlled it possibly and then tapped it in but he was literally right in front of the goal and pulled like a David Luis if he was <laughs> just Luis was trying to clear it but instead <laughs> he was trying to score and then he just skied it and it was it was one of those situations where I feel like man that was like harder to miss mm-hmm. but I mean yeah. I, I famously had that when we were playing soccer but also <laughs> I'm not paid 300 I'm not paid millions of dollars to play professional football <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just some average Joe on the field um, to, to give Sterling some credit, he did set up the first goal, but yeah. because he missed that second opportunity, that's what led eventually to Dembele scoring. Yeah, the winner. That, yeah, he scored the game winner because after this miss, then minutes later, Dembele got his opportunity to just seal out the game. And I think that was really a big turning point. Like Sterling missing that, that's going to haunt him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's going to haunt him in the locker room. And we even seen like, gifs and memes from our own friends saying it's like what's pep guardiola gonna do in the locker room after this match to sterling it's like after that big miss that was incredibly <laughs> Give him a bad beat down <laughs> he's gonna get yeah and he's the main man so i don't know how he's really gonna take this maybe it's gonna be a little rough but i think like the main guy who really tried to carry this team this whole game was kevin de Bruyne. like he just kept sending cross after cross after cross but like just nothing happened. It was like Gabriel Jesus did the best oh. he could. But I, I want to bring up Jesus a little bit. I think um, everyone keeps saying, oh, he's the Aguero replacement. He's the replacement for Aguero. But I feel like if Aguero was playing today, I feel like City would have a much better chance of winning because I think Aguero is a, a far better striker than Jesus. And I think one of our friends mentioned that Jesus kind of benefits a lot from the system he plays in and the players that are around him um, because... I would compare Jesus to maybe Anthony Martial. If I had to pick, I'm not being like just biased. If I had to pick, I would say Martial is a little bit of a better striker than Jesus. I know Jesus is very good with his interplay and the little one-two passing, but if you were to stick Jesus into a Manchester United team that doesn't have the same amount of quality as that City side, is he scoring the same amount of goals? Is he assisting the same amount of um, assisting the same amount of goals and such? I don't think so. I think he's a very overrated striker in a sense where I think he just really benefits from his system. And I haven't really seen him step up when the moments really matter. I mean, we've seen spurts where during in the middle of the season, he might score a, a brace against a random fledgling, you know, mid-table team. And we're like, oh my gosh, like he's ready. He's ready to take the mantle. But in general, when it comes to like the big moments, he really hasn't stepped up because I know there was one chance where... In the game, the ball kind of came to him and he basically like slipped and <laughs> didn't hit it correctly. Or there's been times where even when he's brought on, he doesn't really make that that impact that you would hope for. So I don't know. City fans, I don't know if Jesus is your if is your guy to be the Aguero replacement. I think if you're looking to replace Aguero, I think you might need to go in the transfer market and find uh an actual number nine, a new number nine, because I don't think Aguero can really handle. Uh, handle the pressure because I personally or haven't Jesus, seen him. Yeah. 
Yeah, I haven't <laughs> seen him step up. I don't know if you if you feel the same way. I I agree. I feel like although Jesus might not be like super super overrated, I think he's not the same caliber, of course, as Aguero. I feel like Aguero just has that clinical touch where it's, if he needs to rocket a shot in or just like do a clutch goal. Aguero is your guy to, you know, get that goal. But I feel like Jesus, there's been several times during this game where he just didn't have the right contact with the ball and then it went straight to the keeper or he just miskicked it and then went over. Like there's one particular volley that he had to get on correct on the scissor kick from Sterling, but then like he just didn't have the right contact. It was a hard ball to get, but I feel like in these kind of situations, if you want to be a world-class player, you got to like, you got to find a way to score in certain difficult situations. So I really think Aguero was missed in this game because like they didn't really have an impact player off the bench either who can possibly get a goal mm-hmm. immediately. Like there's no forward that could come on to help help them out. And, you know, Bernardo Silva, I feel like should have had a bigger impact in this game. Like he was just on the bench and I feel like he they definitely would have benefited if they had maybe him as a creator on the pitch. Riyad Mahrez was a good sub. I feel like they needed more of yeah. a threat in the front too. And they you know Foden was on the bench, I believe. David Silva mm-hmm. was on the bench for majority of the game. It was Foden uh, is like a wild card though. So yeah. I don't know if well, but he really... was he was showing signs of like okay he's progressing fairly good mm-hmm. and he's putting out some good performances because he you know like you said a wild card so you could have thrown him in there at the mm-hmm. end and maybe he could have gave you something something yeah, a little something bit different. different. That's um, true. And actually that that brings me to a point I also wanted to bring up that Pep Guardiola started Eric Garcia. Eric yeah. Garcia, who rarely has gotten that many starts this whole season. And this is and only, he wants like, to leave. I believe, his second. Yeah, this, he wants to leave. He wants to leave the club. He announced he wants to leave. And this is only like a second Champions League knockout stage match. I think Pep might have maybe not respected his opponent enough because maybe he's thinking, oh, this is Lyon. It's not like PSG or Bayern. I think playing Eric Garcia against the seventh place team in Lyon would be all right. We fine if we just play him. I think they maybe that might have been the thinking. And you know, Eric Garcia has had some good matches in the later half of the Premier League in, in the last part of the season. But I think in these kind of situations where it's like literally it's a make or break game, maybe it might not have been the best kind of but, player to have. Maybe but the thing is, I don't think there's another there's another center back option. I mean, you could I know they, you might have to just put Fernandinho there. But I mean, like yeah. I feel like in these kind of games, you need those leaders, and mm-hmm. Eric Garcia is not the leader. Yeah. So I think having that, I'm still on the train where he should have probably put four in the back, but that's yeah. Already I mean, too late. He plays a back four <laughs> most of the season. It makes no yeah, sense. I don't know why um, he's doing three. Um, and I I think it's uh it's very interesting because I was looking at the kind of the numbers. So Pep and Mourinho, who have been hailed for the past decade as tactical geniuses in their own right, you know, Mourinho obviously is the defensive genius, learns knows how to set up his team to nullify whatever your team is going to do. Pep is the guy that's going to um, set up his side to basically play total football and control everything, and he'll nullify you that way. It's interesting because they haven't won the Champions League in a very long time, either of those managers. I think Mourinho won it, what, 2009, right, with Inter Milan? Was it 2009 mm-hmm. or 2010? I think it was um, 10. Yeah, and then Pep hasn't won it since 2011 with Barca. And what we've seen in that time, the managers that have won it are Zidane, um, Klopp has won it. Um, who else is? I'm trying to think. Who was the Bayern boss when they won it? Was it Yup? Was it Heikis? Yeah, Yup Heikis. Yeah, then he's won it. Di Matteo um, too for Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, and what we've seen here is like obviously Klopp and such are you know very good tactical geniuses. They know how to set up their sides, but it's interesting because you have managers like Zidane who and like Di Matteo who, I mean. You know, I give credit to Zidane because I think he knows how to set up his side and such. And, you know, he does a he lot more than just subs. Yeah, he he ju- he knows how to how to do that. But I think what we've seen here is a lot of clubs are choosing to go um, for managers that are former club legends. And we see that with Juventus sacking sorry to get Pirlo. We're seeing clubs kind of go for the get the former legend in to kind of gain the respect of the locker room and maybe the emotion and the leadership they showed as a player can translate as a manager. And sometimes I've seen that teams that kind of run off that emotion, we've seen kind of upset these, these teams that run off, you know, 
these tactical uh, tactical boards. I think it's very important to be very tactical and very uh, meaningful for it. But I think it is an interesting trend to keep note of because we've seen that, in especially in the Champions League, that sometimes, I don't know, overthinking it can be your worst enemy. I mean, Mourinho did it with Manchester United against Sevilla back you know, in the 2017-2018 season, the round of 16, when United were clearly the better side uh, against Sevilla, but he decided to set up shop and just try to win it his way and it ended up costing him and burning him. So I think it's very interesting how the Champions League and how European football has kind of shifted from being uh, controlled by these two managers to now it's pretty much a toss-up on whoever can get there. I think that's uh, something very interesting that that I've been thinking of lately, seeing Pep get knocked out. Mm-hmm. It's, it has to beg the question it's like do you think these managers tactics have just been found out and just mm-hmm. there's a solution for them that's just found by other managers or maybe yeah. their style might not cope with current knockout stage kind of play i know like yeah. pep Guardiola, like he's very competitive in the in the league at least but it's just like in yeah. the knockout stages for the champions league at least against other teams not even within the same league um, are managing to stay on par. And like the counterattack especially, it's just like yeah. his biggest downfall. I mean, that, we kind of saw it back in 2012 when Torres beat them on the counterattack. I know that was a yeah. crazy one, but it's interesting because I think what we've seen in the past five or six years, a lot of teams like to press. You know, Jurgen Klopp kind of, you know, revolutionized of doing the high press, make sure your team presses all the time and um, wins the ball back quickly. I know that Pep does that with with his Barcelona sides, his sides, whenever they lose the ball, they try to press really fast. But, you know, with Klopp and Pochettino, the managers that have knocked out Pep in the recent seasons, they prioritize pressing. Everyone presses, team, you know, we press the ball and we win the ball back as soon as possible. And those tactics kind of infuriate Pep because it's like, okay, well, we can't really play the ball out, out out of the back as we normally hope to because we're if we try to do that, we're just going to get pressed by Mane, Salah, Firmino, or Hyunmin Son, Kane, or whoever. And I think because a lot of teams have gone for that more high-pressing style, I think that's maybe nullified um, the likes of Mourinho and Pep and such. But, you know, I don't know. It, it does kind of beg the question, but I, I think what's also interesting here is the... I, I, I think the biggest problem with City and the reason they can't make it pass, I think, is the mentality. I, I think they, the, the club lacks a, a strong mentality to get past the, the get, get into the later stages of the Champions League because what we've seen is like with Liverpool, you know, Liverpool and such, teams that have historically been good in the Champions League, they can kind of go off that history and they kind of go off that club culture of like, okay, we've been here before, we know how to get here. Um, people, legends in the past have been been able to done this. We can do it. But with City, their furthest point in the Champions League has been a semifinal with Manuel Pellegrini. They don't really have a very a rich <laughs> club tradition or history of making it far in the Champions League. And I feel like the players, they there's no precedent of like, okay, we could win this. Their only precedent is like, oh, we choke every time we get in this position. So I feel like there there must be some sort of psychologist that needs to go in and kind of help with the mentality of the team, knowing that they, Hey, they have the players and quality to get there. They just don't have the um, precedent to kind of show that, you know, I, so I think it's interesting. I think at that point they need a leader. Like I feel like if Vincent yeah. company was in this lineup, it would have yeah, been they a were different gonna win. They would have won, I win. think, but they don't really have that vocal leader anymore mm-hmm. without Vincent company. They don't have Joe Hart like, was a vocal leader. Yeah, obviously, Joe Hart, Joe Hart was is a not, very vocal leader. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give me the, the ball. <laughs> it's like literally right now, uh, when you look into that match, the lead, the captain of the team was Fernandinho. And then after he got subbed off, it was Kevin De Bruyne. And they're not, they're two players that I don't really see as very vocal. Like they're very composed. Not very strong. Like, mm-hmm. They're I, kind of more not, players that kind of demonstrate leadership by their actions, like how they play on yeah. the pitch. But sometimes you do need that that leader, like that Carlos Puyol, that will just yeah, kind of that, like that Van slap Dyke. you in the face. Yeah, the Van <laughs> like, Dyke to get, get everyone riled yeah. up. Someone who would yell Ramos. at you. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. you kind of seen that Barcelona too, with like the loss of certain leaders like Iniesta, Xavi, and Puyol. We'll talk about that in in a few minutes. But like with 
Man City not having those kind of leaders on the team, I think that's really what's setting them back. I think in kind of competitions like this where they don't have the history behind them, but there's no audience, there's no crowd in the in the stadiums these days. I would have thought that it might have benefited them because it's like, all right, we don't have their the opposition crowd kind of booing at us the entire 90 minutes. Like we don't have to worry about that. And we don't have like the lack of fans <laughs> in the stadium, not really there to cheer us on. So, yeah, I would have thought that, you know, certain teams like this would have benefited rather than like, you know, Bayern Munich not having their fans. PSG, I don't I guess the fanboys. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think that's why certain other teams, maybe like Atalanta and RB Leipzig, those kind of smaller, quote unquote, smaller teams compared to like these mega clubs are doing a little better mm-hmm. th- progressing through the knockout stage so i was kind of surprised i'm still surprised that city got eliminated in a 3-1 yeah but, and it, it yeah. just kind of begs the question this is a uh, probably like one of our last topics with city and then we'll move on to the other teams but uh aderson i is aderson overrated that's the question i have not <laughs> been the biggest fan of aderson i think he is a fantastic uh, keeper in terms of playing the ball at the back i mean that's why pep bought him he's an ex he's probably the best ball playing goalkeeper that we've seen in in European in European world and especially in the Premier League with his long passing ability his short passing ability but I think when it comes in certain situations I feel like he doesn't really use his head all that often because you know if their ball you know since City plays such a high defensive line he has to play that sweeper keeper role but I think a lot of times he kind of just goes out of the way and just gets out of position too fast to try to win the ball back and it ends up leading to him either getting sent off or causing an injury to the other player. And I remember the Manchester Derby, a ball, a, basically a back pass went back to him and he basically miscontrolled it. And Martial almost went in to score the, score the goal. And then against Liverpool and also against United, basically at the end of the game, when he just tried to chuck a long ball into midfield, I mean, Salah basically picked it off and then McTominay picked it off and they basically w- got an open goal from 30 yards out because Aderson was so out of position. And I think what he's a decent shop shot stopper at best, but I mean, we saw against that, that goal against Dembele where he, the shot went right at him and he basically didn't hold on to it. He just like pushed it down to the ground and that allowed Leon to score their third goal. So obviously, you know, we made a joke is like Kepa is definitely like number one when it comes to overrated Premier League goalkeepers, but, I think Aderson needs to kind of be in that conversation because I've never been the highest on Aderson. And I think these this season especially has kind of shown his um, his frailties when it comes to being that lone goalkeeper. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't know. I think Aderson kind of needs to be in that conversation of maybe being in one of the overrated spots as a goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. I, I think the conversation overall is like the system that Pep has instilled in Man City is like, is it, is it working? And it all kind of starts with Aderson mm-hmm. at the back kind of starting up play because ultimately I feel like despite his goalie tendencies and his frailties and actually being a keeper like diving, catching balls and just making those, making those saving plays, I think his distribution at least is one of his best attributes and like I yeah. still think it's one of the best in the world. Yeah. But yeah, even then, there is some inconsistency sometimes in his distributions where like sometimes he try to ping a ball across the, the pitch, but then it wouldn't it wouldn't leave the ground. It'd just be like, it'd be a cross field ground pass that could have been intercepted because he just miskicked it mm-hmm. or he would just send it so far that it'd just be a goal kick for the other team. Yeah, like I saw that several times in the in the Lyon game, too. I was just like, man, all right, <laughs> find some control in that leg a little <laughs> bit. But back to the point of just being a keeper itself, like the job is being a goalkeeper. I think number one is just, you know, making the saves. And there is several instances in this game where like his hands, it just, they just didn't like butter. They're like butter. Like literally the, one of the goals that Leon scored is because he didn't catch a very catchable ball. When you watched Anthony Lopez on the other side of the pitch for Leon, he caught crosses. He caught like, shots that are coming right at him. Like that, those, really shut down the play from continuing like giving those second chances like his hands were the reason why uh, man city couldn't get like those tap-ins but ederson mm-hmm. because of his 
lack of ability to just catch a ball or like just that thought process to really catch and just coming out as a sweeper keeper like just a little too quickly is kind of like a makeshift manual noia where he's kind of like he watched highlight videos online and he's like oh, okay <laughs> i can do that <laughs> and then like he just he just couldn't really perform up to what a sweeper keeper can do like i feel like he's like a worse version of like hugo loris at times or in terms of like the sweeper keeper ability i'm just like ah, yeah. i don't know about that because like if you get a shot right at you you got to be like at least parrying that away from the goal not getting yeah. a shot at right at you and then bouncing and into the goal he's he's also had the points you know i mentioned this before when since city plays such a high defensive line he has to be that sweeper keeper but i mean i remember when that whole Mane incident where he basically was it Mane cleated him in the head, but like he ran right into Mane's cleat or something like that. Um, It was something crazy like that. And he's had multiple scenarios where that's happened every season. And he's kind of gotten away with it because city have been so good. But this season, since they don't have the defensive structure that they normally had the past three seasons, he's kind of been found out a lot. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, he's been exposed a lot, but as one of our listeners, Cho, he he kind of mentioned on Twitter, that the Man City backline, as as we kind of bombarded in this episode, <laughs> their backline was not very good yeah. in this game too. And that, like, not having a good backline can expose your keeper a lot. Yeah, and it, it, it would it requires a really world class keeper to kind of keep everything afloat, keep everything in line. Even like I feel like maybe Ali's son might struggle a few times. Yeah, I if mean, he has a backline with freaking. That's why <laughs> I Garcia. thought it was. I thought it was so crazy when David De Gea was literally saving United season when he had Chris Smalling, Rojo, Phil Jones, mm-hmm. the assortment of those three constantly playing behind him. And he was somehow able to keep United in some yeah. sort of shape. And I, like I that, think that's, that really illustrates it. Like if, if David De Gea can do it with that back line and then Ederson can't with his back line. Yeah. Then Especially 500 mil. Isn't that what the number is that they've thrown at the, like Pep has thrown at the back line to buy defenders and all it's that. Insane. Some, it's just yeah. like every, every player it has to be at least 40 million mil. or something. Yeah. And the, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I, obviously we spent a lot of time with city, but another shocking defeat in the champions league with the mega club is Bayern knocking out Barcelona eight to two. They Barcelona have joined the eight two club. Isn't that crazy? I never would have thought, I mean, I was texting Tyler while this game was going on and we were both in shock. Like we both have never witnessed Barcelona get humiliated like this ever. Mm -hmm. And he was saying, Tyler was saying this may, this, this result is even worse than the corner taking quickly Liverpool match or the Roma match. I mean, this is shocking how bad they were because basically it, it, it honestly felt like Barcelona just gave up. I've never seen that, especially with the likes of Messi, Pique, Busquets, Suarez. Those players are world-class players, you know, on their day. And it just looked like they gave up. Like Everyone on that squad looked like they gave up. They just stopped trying. They mm-hmm. stopped fighting for playing for Barcelona, the badge, the club. You know, it. it's funny. I, it's it, all right. I'll, I'll say this out. It's funny because I think the the signs have been there for the past three seasons that this was going to happen, but it's just kind of been they've been putting a lot of bandages over the cracks. They've been papering over the cracks. Um, first, it started off with Neymar leaving for PSG. I think that hurt Barcelona a lot. And with mm-hmm. the money they had, they bought Dembele, they've bought Coutinho, they bought Griezmann, but they've kind of been really weird makeshift transfers. Not really a lot of structure and planning there because. I remember when Coutinho was bought, everyone kept saying that he was going to be the Iniesta replacement. But I don't know about you, Tyler, but anyone that's watched Coutinho in the Premier League knew that he was not Iniesta. This guy is like a straight up center attacking mid. Like all he wants to do is be in the box and score goals. Like he's not a box to box, you know, midfielder that's going to stay in the middle. No, he's going to be going forward all the time. And it was just so odd that they kept calling him the Eniesta replacement. And we saw with Barcelona, he couldn't really fit in the squad because he either had to be played out on the left wing or played, you know, weird, you know, diamond or the weird midfield formation and didn't really fit there. And Coutinho didn't work. Dembele obviously hasn't worked because he's been injured. Griezmann has kind of been a little bit of a flop. I mean, he's been semi-decent, but he hasn't been the Griezmann that you would expect that they bought from Atletico. So in a way, I kind of, the way that Barcelona have been, their transfer strategy has been, it kind of reminds me of Manchester United in a sense where they're buying a lot of overhyped players for very large sums of fees and it really hasn't worked out. 
And I think both Manchester United and Barcelona have been burned by that. And I think Barcelona need to think of a strategy that's sort of similar to what Manchester United are trying to do, where it's like kind of get rid of a lot of the dead wood and just restart. And I think that's what Barcelona have to do is just restart. And, you know, you can go back to our interview with Phil Shane from BN Sports. We posed the question about Barcelona, what they need to do in the coming years. And he kind of mentioned that, you know, it could be just a sign of turning uh, transition for Barcelona for the next couple of seasons where they don't really win a lot, but they need to transition more of the youth and get rid of some of that old dead wood that's kind of at the club right now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like throughout the past decade with all these key players that we, we just mentioned, yeah, like been Iniesta, forever, yeah, forever. Like, like they, I feel like as they left, they won't, they have this kind of puzzle, this, this known puzzle of what Barcelona is. And then once a piece has been removed and sold to another club or just retired, they try to find another player with those ex- with not even the same qualities, but they're like, all right, you're going to be this puzzle piece now that we lost. And then you're just going to slot right in. And I feel mm-hmm. like it hasn't worked. Like there's literally, yeah. there's not going to be another player out there. That's going to be like a Carlos Puyol. There's or not going to be a player that's going to be like Xavi, Iniesta, Neymar. They're there's, once in a generation or once in a lifetime yeah. type of players. And then they're kind of forcing these things in. It's like, all right, Dembele, you're going to be the Neymar piece. All right. Coutinho, as as you're going to be the David Villa piece, and then it's going to be like, all right, Coutinho, you're going to be Iniesta. It's, and they clearly can't play those kind of styles the same way that these foreign players did. And Barcelona, they have a very distinct style of play where it's very pass heavy, and you know they bought certain players to even try to keep that that kind of style with you know Frankie De Jong. He's a very good passer of the ball, very good you know, center mid. But I feel like the system might not cater well to certain players they did bring in like the ones we mentioned like Griezmann Dembele Coutinho because they just aren't you know suited for this kind of very pass heavy style like even Frankie de Jong is not played in his preferred position of kind of CDM most of the time because Sergio Busquets is already there so he's playing Mm -hmm. a little bit more advanced and he doesn't really have that attacking tenacity as you know maybe like an Iniesta would yeah so I think a lot of the players maybe Barcelona would want ended up going to City instead <laughs> because mm-hmm. I feel like at times City plays Barca's game better than Barcelona does. Yeah. And we've seen like certain players like Bernardo Silva, Joao Cancelo, Rodri, they're all at City. And I feel like those would have been perfect players at Barcelona over like Semedo or <laughs> mm-hmm. who had a, a terrible second half. Yeah, just, Davies just dropped him. Uh, if you haven't Davies. seen the clip, like go on YouTube. It's probably on YouTube somewhere. Look up Alfonso Davies versus Nelson Semedo. And Alfonso Davies just ended Nelson Semedo's Barcelona mm-hmm. career. If it wasn't already ended before this. <laughs> yeah, like our our good friend Nathan from the relegation pod, like he literally said it on Twitter himself. He's like, I I without hyperbole, like I think Alfonso Davies just ended Semedo's career at Barcelona. But <laughs> it was it was incredible. Like he literally got past him and then dropped him. Like yeah. Semedo was on the ground, but on the ground because like he just couldn't keep up with him. So I think it's like you don't see that from Barcelona players. Like you want to no. see Danny Alves back in the yeah. day get dropped, and then they're just usually the ones dropping players. Exactly. Like he's it's just he's just pace. Semedo is, and it's like he what on earth? So I think Barcelona. It's it's very reminiscent of what you said with like what Man U has done in the past several seasons, where it's just like a lot of managers have come in, not lasted a whole year. And then like they try to implement different styles within the Barcelona system that just hasn't worked. And then they brought in a lot of big name players for a lot more money than they should have been. Like Coutinho, he should not have been 142 million. This is coming from a Liverpool fan. Mm-mm. And like he he hasn't even he didn't even start. Like these three players, Griezmann, Dem- Usman Dembele, and Coutinho, they're all on the bench. Coutinho was on the bench for Bayern, but like these yeah, are scored million pound players. They're on the bench. They didn't even start. Mm-hmm. And Dembele didn't even play. So, like, this is all money just kind of, like, thrown away. If you're not even using it, that's, like, throwing away money. So, yeah, who do you yeah, even that's bring what... in or, like, get rid of at this point? Because, like, I think, you know, there's a big reliance on Messi being the carry mm-hmm. of the team. And that's been a very clear statement where it's like, all right, Messi is literally the one carrying the team. And he's like, his back hurts. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because that's why I think it's like Manchester United because you look at Manchester United's past transfers with Alexi Sanchez, Schweinsteiger, Schneiderlin, um, 
there's so many other players that Memphis. I mean, there's so many random players that they just bought to kind of yeah, fit like in. Falcao, Di Maria. Yeah, <laughs> and paying paying them super high wages, first of all, and for super large amounts of fee, and it just never worked out. And, you know, they kind of had to build from the ground up. And I think for Barcelona, you know, the reliance is definitely there on Messi, but Messi can really, I mean, he how old is he, like 33 now? 33. He needs and, help. He's an old man in there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we saw that with Cristiano Ronaldo. Maybe that's why he left Real Madrid is because they, he kind of saw that the over-reliance on him where they relied too much on his play and they couldn't really perform without him. That's why he kind of booked it for Juventus. You know, could this be a sign that Messi wants to leave and kind of do what Ronaldo did where go to a team where there's a little bit more structure so that that way it's not built upon if he doesn't play, they're not they're going to lose every game. And for Messi at Barcelona... I mean, they're they're not going to win. They're not going to be winning the Champions League or La Liga for any time soon, I don't think. And I think for Messi, does he want to stay and witness a rebuild in his own eyes, or does he want to go and play for another club that can win a Champions League right away or challenge for big titles? And I don't know. It'll be an interesting question. It would be hard to see Messi leave Barcelona because I always just envision him as being a one-player club, but. I mean, for a player as great as he is, does he? I mean, I'll ask you. I'll ask you this: I I don't know if he wants to sit through a, a, a an actual rebuild, and it's and it's a little frustrating because it's like, man, the Barcelona board has failed one of the greatest superstars of all time, like literally one of the greatest players of all time. The Barcelona board has failed them by being very incompetent in their transfer strategy and not really planning for the future. Mm-hmm. I I think it's like a two way street where maybe. Messi needs to leave to possibly keep his career, you know, competitive in terms of like the greats, like constantly winning trophies because like, you know, Barcelona, they're not looking like they're going to win trophies anytime soon. But also at the same time, maybe Barcelona are very reliant on making sure they can keep Messi in the system because their average age of the team is this, this was the oldest starting 11 in like I think Barca history in terms of a knockout stage game where it was like close to if not in the 30s it was just like 30 years old mm-hmm. and I feel like a lot of players did bring in they're like all right these are gonna be just impact players that are already in their primes maybe a little bit past their primes that will for sure be proven players that can play in the system with Messi at least what we think of players that can play in the system so like you know Vidal came in and then they just got Pjanic. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like another 32-year-old. Mm-hmm. And then like PK still here. Like and, 32. Yeah, Long lay, like they, they still haven't found like a decent center back. I mean, long lay or Umtiti. It's mm-hmm. up in the air. Jordi Alba is there. Like literally the same. Jordi Alba is old. The uh, same players that you've seen like in 2013, you can literally pop 2014. In FIFA 11. FIFA yeah, 11. Like you can pop that in. Like, oh, dang, he's still here. <laughs> But they they really do need that youth. Like Ansu Fati came off the bench, but like the best he, player, the best player, <laughs> and he's like eighteen, and he he couldn't really turn the game around. Yeah, because it's like, man, you're asking Ansu Fati to make an impact, and it's like you're already yeah. down four one at that point, I, like I five one. And I think they need to be careful because it can't be one of those things where like, oh, we sell everyone and just play the youth. If you do that, that could be a detriment to them because then it's throwing them too much into the fire. I think you need to slowly, you know, start filtering in the youth, but you can't just throw them all out there all at once. Otherwise their confidence will go down because they'll get owned by, you know, by professionals that have been playing for years. So I think um, it needs to be a slow, a slow rebuild of slowly implementing the youth throughout the, throughout the team and everything. Mm -hmm. And I feel like even then they also do need as Manchester City need they need an, more leaders on the team. They need to buy that like Van Dyke who will come in and kind of shore up the defense. That random, you know, midfielder is very vocal. That can that's not Vidal that look like he's going to punch the ref. He's <laughs> the one who's going to like, you know, shore up the team and kind of get everyone back in shape because, you know, Messi he's like literally one of the best players of all time. I still think he's the best player of all time. And he lets his football do the talking like he he's very i feel like on the pitch he's very quiet like mm-hmm. like even br sports like when you watch their <laughs> their cartoon yeah you're like just sad it's there's he it, it depicts messi with a puppet talking for him 
instead of him speaking because he lets the football do the talking for him. And it, like whenever the puppet speaks, it's always like him roasting his teammates or him roasting his team because mm-hmm. Messi wouldn't say that in, in real life. But like, I feel like he does need that in him, like that part of him. Yeah, that Ronaldo like, would, has that with him, like very vocal. Mm-hmm. He'd be leader, like, why, like, we'll like get- what was that pass? Or like, what, like, why'd you not make this run? Or like, why'd you do this a certain way? It's like, sometimes you do need that from a player to really kind of amp up the team. Like, I don't think negative, um, you know, connotations help, but like, I feel like even those every once in a while, like when Messi would cheer on, it's like, oh, that was a great goal. Or like, you know, or that was like a great pass. Like those kind of positive connotations too and comments would really come out of like a vocal leader that, you know, is really needed in these kind of times and like really just drew up a team. And we didn't see that in that Barca Bayern game. In fact, like it was quite the opposite where, once the going got tough, it just went straight downhill. And then, like, we clearly saw a Barca team that just gave mm-hmm. up. Like, after 4-1, it was just game over. Like, they're competitive yeah. in the first 15 minutes. Like, they had several yeah. opportunities that could have gone in. Like, Suarez was the wrong goal, but then Neuer saved it. They crossed in one particular cross from Messi and then hit the hit the post. Yeah, and I was like, geez, like, they were, they were pretty close. And then, like, even Messi was through on goal at one point. But it was just over like literally 20 minutes after that it was just a di- whole different barcelona mm-hmm. so yeah. i think it, it's kind of tough to see what barcelona is going to do like we have a lot of ep- epiphanies for what would happen if you know messi were to go messi were to stay but i think the unanimous thing is that i don't think between us two that barcelona is going to win any trophies anytime soon or be as competitive because even when they did have a big advantage in the Champions League, like against Roma, they they lost four one, and then yeah, against Liverpool, Liverpool they lost four zero. Same thing. And then against Bayern Munich, they didn't have that advantage, but like they didn't, because like maybe against Liverpool and Roma, they might have had that thinking. It's like, oh, we have a big advantage, like we can just sit back. Like against Liverpool, mm-hmm. they had a three nil advantage, and then they just maybe sat back a little too much mm-hmm. and allowed Liverpool to come back. But like against Bayern Munich, they didn't have that advantage. Like they should have just came in and just kind of went to town and gotten the win because like they knew they didn't have anything in the back so yeah. i think it might be a, a mental thing at this point it's like messy just getting imagine being messy at this point just like yeah. losing so many like crucial games and then also just like it's just embarrassing too it's like yeah. he's not even like close loses is or close l's it's just like the most embarrassing way to get out. And then yeah, also like for his country out. too. It's just like, there's yeah. no hope. And then you see Ronaldo on the other end. Sure, he lost to Lyon, but I mean, he won three Champions, League in, Champions Leagues in a row and he's been knocked out. And when he gets knocked out, it's more of like a heartbreaking knockout, not like a, oh, you just got dominated knockout. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, but I know you quickly have like some Thiago news. It mm-hmm. seems like he's probably going to go to Liverpool, but you just yeah, don't this know. This is on Byron since we, Byron's in the same conversation. Like, I guess this is his game, but mm-hmm. there there have been talks that Thiago, with the 30 million euro uh, price tag, it's looking like Liverpool may or may not pull the trigger. But the personal terms, at least, have been agreed upon with a four year deal. And he reportedly said, you know, goodbye to his Byron teammates and might leave by the end of the summer. And he's already found a good home in Liverpool. But there have also been reports that maybe Liverpool might not want to pay that 30 million euro fee because his, with his contract expiring, he'll be free in, in the next five months. So would Liverpool want to pay that 30 mil now or just wait that five months? Because I feel like maybe Liverpool can afford to wait that five months with the current players that do have, you know, with Curtis Jones coming up from the ranks and then Marco Gruich coming from loan and i don't know if they're going to sell him but you know if they keep him then they could play him possibly and then also you know this is kind of random but like laurie's carries has seen training too so it's like maybe they might use some of these loan players i don't know it's yeah and then shakiri still, still needs to sign a contract though why not him please stay gosh <laughs> is it wait is it actually likely that he might leave no there's just a lot of rumors but maybe that's just like kind of fodder what is to, it does he want like a crazy amount of money I don't think so, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does. He can he didn't he can definitely ask for it because he's been a big player for Liverpool, especially in the like as we mentioned that four yeah you know, he, he, come back. Two like, goals, he was right he was the biggest factor in the reason why we came back. Like he got subbed on in the second half, mm-hmm. and then kind of just came into town. But literally, I think the the key thing besides this Thiago 
possibly coming and it's looking very likely now. I think most importantly, Liverpool need to re-sign their players that they do have because yeah. like they're the key factors and why they're successful. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to quickly also mention that their former player, Coutinho, he came on in this game against Barcelona and scored two and also yeah. celebrated. <laughs> that was a very weird thing to see. I didn't yeah, know you can he, play against your old parent loan club. Maybe but. it was a stipulation on the contract, but it, it's so weird that Barcelona wouldn't, you know, make that a point that, hey, he can't play. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, that kind of just sums up Barcelona transfer strategy and Barcelona just in general during this whole time period. But I knew we're pushing close to an hour, so we want to quickly run through the other knockout stage games and it's crazy because Leipzig knocked out the other La Liga team Atletico and it was quite surprising because you know the fact that Leipzig lost Timo Werner I thought this is a for sure win for sure dub for Atletico but Atletico didn't did not look very good at all it was crazy it looks like watching that game it felt like Leipzig kind of went in with their attacking style and it somehow caught Atletico off guard and it was amazing because you never think Atletico would get caught off guard with Diego Simeone and everything. But the tactics of Leipzig just went through and, and Tyler Adams, the American, scored the winning goal for RB Leipzig. And granted, it was off a deflection, but the fact that an American, Tyler Adams, scored in a Champions League knockout stage, it's it's pretty cool to see. And I, I think um, all credit to Leipzig. I think it's a pretty cool victory for them. But I wonder what Timo Werner must be thinking if Leipzig, although make it all the way to the final and he's sitting there training with Chelsea. <laughs> Man, he's texting RB Leipzig right now. It's like, hope you're doing well. It's like <laughs> when you have like a breakup and then it's like one side clearly is, is not doing as well as the other side is like, oh man, that was a that was a mistake doing this breakup. And then it's mm-hmm. kind of like Timo Warner kind of seeing that. But also at the same time, it's kind of like a butterfly effect or it's like would Timo Warner being in the side help RB Leipzig go through because like it was just all these little factors that help RB Leipzig get past yeah. Atletico. But you know, Oblak didn't have the best game either. And yeah. he he was very out of shape compared to what his usual Dude, what, what is. What is like, up he with goalkeepers? 4.9 rating. Yeah, what game. is up with goalkeepers this year? All the world class goalkeepers have kind of been weird this year. It's either like they've been bad or maybe the striking forces of the opposition have just gotten maybe a little bit better. Dude, but, they're just using the uh, Jum- Jubilani, Jumbalani. This is <laughs> the the ball is just, one yeah. of the best balls. Of all, that's a whole other podcast right there. <laughs> but gosh, man, I want to buy a Jubilani just to have. So, like, that <laughs> that's that's the, the reason the goalkeepers have been messing up, man. Mm-hmm. They're just but, putting a bunch of like uh, grease on the ball. Dude, uh, to give context, the Jubilani is the 2010 South Africa World Cup ball. And a very quick tangent, but every ball, every soccer ball is very different from every World Cup or even every every league is a little bit more consistent. But every World Cup, I don't know why, but it's just like it's just something a little different about every single ball in terms of the, the way they fly through the through the through the air, the way they react to certain strikes and just like the feel, like the texture on the top. It's just a little bit different for every single World Cup. But that's a whole other yeah. <laughs> podcast. But anyways, for this game, uh, Tyler Adams, back to that. I think a lot of Americans, at least, were very happy to see that. A lot of people are like, Pulisic and Tyler Adams, they're just going to be the reason why U.S. can hopefully get back into the World Cup. And Tyler and not, you know, we, we should have the same first name. So I'm going to be on the, the Tyler Adams bandwagon kind of cheering on for him. Mm-hmm. But it was very... Good to see that Julian Nagelsmann, the RB Leipzig manager, relied on Tyler Adams. He subbed him on to get the game winner. And a lot of people are saying like he's one of the he's the youngest manager to manager side in the knockout stage of the Champions League. Yeah. And a lot of people are seeing the passion from him and just yeah, the like, tenacity. A, I think he was an assistant with Yogi Love, the German national coach, for a little right. bit too. Or no, that was um sorry, that was Byron's boss. <laughs> I was Byron's boss. Yeah, I got the I got the managers mixed up. My bad. I wasn't sure. I was like, uh, maybe. But uh, I know Nagelsmann, you know, he had a pretty good time at Hoffenheim. And then he was, you know, projected to do big things. And he ended up at RB Leipzig. And a lot of people were saying he could be like a Klopp region in terms of just his, uh, his passion. on the, Yeah, like a Hassan Hoodle where he's like on the, like the passion on the side and just his ability to get the most out of his players. Because like he lost Werner. As yeah. as just mentioned, but he managed Still to get made past it to the semis a, mm-hmm, to the semis for the first time in Leipzig history. Like th- this team was founded in 2009, and within 11 years, they are now in the semifinals of a Champions League after being in like Division Four 
uh, the Bundesliga. It's wild. And they got over to Atletico side that beat Liverpool and also mm-hmm. had Dual Felix come off the bench. And Dual Felix did make a big impact. He came on and, you know, scored a penalty and just disrupted this RB Leipzig team. Like, it was like, oh man, do we even have an answer for it? Dual Felix. But ultimately, Tyler Adams with the clutch goal kind of pushed them through. I think if Dual Felix maybe started this game, it might have been a little different of a story too. But I mean, it's just all these like little factors. It's like maybe if Werner played, it would have been a little different. If Joao Felix played more minutes, it would have been different. But or if Old Black maybe had a little bit more sleep. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I think it was just all these little factors. RB Leipzig now into the semis, and that also eliminates the last La Liga team. La Liga team besides Barcelona. It's like that's it's weird to see no English teams and no Spanish teams in the semis like that. Yeah. That is very rare. It's infiltrated by German and league owned teams now. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought but, league? Oh, <laughs> yeah. And then it's crazy. That's a because, good transition. Yeah. Yeah. Into- PSG getting past Atalanta and Neymar was the center of conversation. We'll quickly talk about this one, but Neymar was the center of conversation for this game because he went to PSG. Everyone basically was roasting him in the pregame show saying that, I mean, I think Jamie Carragher basically said he went to PSG for the wrong reasons for money. And it wasn't, he he went there primarily to win a Ballon d'Or rather than win a Champions League. But to his credit, he did have a pretty poor first half in terms of he had so many chances that you would normally think Neymar would make, but he missed. He but missed a one-on-one on one with a keeper. Like yeah. he was through on goal. And he scuffed it. Basically did a whole like, he. it was surprising how many misses he missed. But mm-hmm. it helped that Mbappe came on in the second half, helped change things up for PSG. And that allowed them to get the comeback. And Chupa Moting, um, the former Stoke City player, if you didn't know, we're tying this back to the Premier League here. Former Stoke City player got the winning goal for PSG. So I think it's quite funny that Shakiri, a former Stoke City player, won the Champions League with Liverpool. And PSG could potentially win it again. This could win the Champions League this year. And Chupa Moting, a former Stoke player, could win it. So if I'm Stoke, I'm putting that on my wall as soon as you walk into the club. So that way you can say, hey, if you come here, you could end up like one of these guys, but not with our club. If you go move somewhere else, <laughs> you got to go somewhere else. But this is a stepping stone for you to get there eventually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like- I think, um, I think it's quite crazy how PSG have been able to do this um, because, like Manchester City, they've been haunted by a horrible round of sixteen um, knockouts by a bunch of teams and just PSG choking. So credit to PSG, and I think you know it's. Uh, it's it's interesting that Lyon and PSG have both made it because Kylian Mbappe actually tweeted. He said "Farmers League" um, <laughs> with a with a laughing emoji or whatever. So I think the players have heard it. But man, I got to give credit to PSG. I didn't think they could get past Atalanta, and they did. So you never know at this point. I like this is a big game for Neymar. I knew that if there was an opportunity for PSG to really have a good chance of winning the Champions League, it'd be this season. And Neymar really needed to step up as the big player that if he is going to be, you know, in the conversation of like, who's the best player in the world? Like Messi, Ronaldo, or maybe now Neymar. He has to really step up in these games and show why he's one of the best in the world and kind of just backpack the rest of the team. And he kind of showed that with 17 successful dribbles. That's insane. He got past 17 people throughout the entire game. That's, that is insane. Like he nutmegged <laughs> yeah a defender at one point i was like holy cow like he just is this is his game so although he missed several opportunities i think as you mentioned mbappe coming on and maybe taking some pressure off of him in terms of having the defenders for atalanta now have to shift their focus like oh man we have to worry about mbappe now too geez <laughs> i think that also helped clear up a little bit more space for neymar to create and ultimately that's what led to marquinhos getting that first goal because Neymar got a little bit of space and then passes straight on to Marquinhos, Marquinhos to get that uh, tap in. But I think, um, you know, PSG being in a quote unquote farmers league and making it to the semifinals and also Lyon making it into the semifinals. That is a big statement because now it just makes the Premier League <laughs> and Serie A just look funky. And La Liga. It's like, oh, man. Yeah. And La Liga, especially. It's like, oh, man, all these three other quote unquote more competitive leagues just can't keep up with say a Bundesliga or league uh, sides. So kind of, we have to give credit to these leagues for, you know, producing 
these particular clubs and yeah. especially Lyon for being a seventh place team in Liga yeah. currently this past season and then making it in the semis. They yeah. have a little chip on their shoulder since it's like or not chip on the shoulder, but like now this kind of thought where it's like the only way they can get Euro- European football is if they, they win, win the, the Champions, Champions League, which is yeah. crazy. Um, but back to yeah, uh, PSG, I think, as you mentioned, you know, Neymar, I think it was a lot easier to it's like a free trophy every season still. Yeah. But I think I, they have a really good team objectively in Europe. Like it's still one of the top. Yeah. Six, five teams in all of Europe, just based yeah, on the caliber of the quality. players. Yeah, mm-hmm. like they literally have Mbappe on the team as mm-hmm. well, and they didn't have a Neymar. full strong, full strength squad because it, Di Maria was injured. Um, I think Icardi was also. Um, I think he's. Or no, they played Sarabia. They played Sarabia oh, yeah. and someone else, but they didn't even have a full strength squad because Mbappe, Di Maria, were Di Maria was hurt, but Mbappe was on the bench and such. Um, so it was it was a good, it was a very good performance by PSG, but um, quickly. Where does Neymar kind of rank in terms of the world's top players? I think his ranking kind of went down a little bit because of his performances at PSG. But I think still he's one of the best players out there. And I don't think enough people give him credit because they they kind of just think, oh, he's a showboat. He just likes to do a bunch of skills and flicks. But he has quality. I mean, we've seen it. Like He is one of the best players in the world because he can... He can use those skills and tricks to his advantage because he can get by players so easily. And unfortunately, this game didn't really show off his finishing ability, but he's a pretty good finisher and he can score free kicks. So I think he's up there with... um, he Mm -hmm. For me, he's in top five at least. Yeah, and he can score clutch goals. Like, as we mentioned, it's like we what Gabriel Jesus needed, that clutch gene, Neymar does have. Like, although he couldn't backpack uh, Brazil during this last World Cup, like he did make a big impact where it's like, if he wasn't playing, like it, it would have been a detriment. So I think Neymar, he definitely is in that conversation of even top three at this point where yeah. maybe Ronaldo and Messi's stock might be dropping a little bit due to their age and just, you know, being knocked out of the Champions League a little early. Yeah. And also for Messi not winning really a trophy this season that are that's quite notable. Yeah. But... I think it's um, funny because I remember people would kind of compare Hazard to Neymar and they they tried to say Hazard, like Chelsea fans at least tried to say Hazard was a little bit better than Neymar, especially when the couple of seasons when Hazard performed really well. But like, if they both were performing at high level, I would take Neymar over Hazard. I would take Neymar any any day. Like yeah. Hazard's a world-class player, but Neymar yeah, Neymar's is like a like a plus. generation. I would say Neymar is an A-plus quality and Hazard's A. Yeah. like And as we mentioned you know, Neymar does things on the pitch that are just no one else does. Like he yeah. he does so many he fancy tricks. Someone in in a game who does yeah, that. Like although it's like showboating, it's successful. Like he can get past yeah. a player doing that. We've seen players attempt that and then not. <laughs> like have who's it that guy from? Um, that was like Kennedy, right? The other Brazilian for Newcastle. He tried like a bike. <laughs> they were losing. <laughs> he tried like, something yeah, crazy. I mean, like there's there's. Countless other players that do try to emulate, not emulate Neymar, but like just try to, you know, show do these showboat kind of moves. And we've seen like, you know, Asaidi from Liverpool back in the day or like, you know, Ben Arfa. Balotelli. Balotelli. Like they, like sometimes it'd come off well, but it's like a one in 10 times. While Neymar, it's like nine out of 10 times. It's like he managed to get past this player with that. Crazy. And then set up other players or set up a chance for himself. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, even when he was a Santos coming up, it was just like, all right, he's going to be world-class like he was clearly a big player like throughout all his time it wasn't like he didn't hazard where it's like he needed some time to develop it was like Neymar yeah. was done no and i think we just we start putting some respect on Neymar's yeah. name <laughs> basically yeah, respect him and yeah you know kudos to Neymar, and hopefully if Neymar is you know really serious about being in that competition of one of the best of all time then he really has to win this trophy for psg this season mm-hmm. but i don't know if they can get past in my opinion i think byron's going to the final still yeah, but Byron seems like the strongest out of all the out of the four but mm-hmm. yeah byron are i think on another level but you never know the champions league is one of those competitions you never know what might happen yeah, i we think might see a freaking psg versus leon final or like yeah, a leon versus final. final or all bundesliga final it's great it, it'll yeah. be fun it reminds me of last season where we had the option of having all Premier League final and ended up happening. So now you never know. So you never know. It, yeah. So what's what's the possibilities? Is like a three factorial. It could be like six yeah, different 
up like six different uh outcomes for what could happen in terms exactly. of like, the, the matches up but yeah it can be all bundesliga all league on or bundesliga league on so there's a tons of options out there so i think we just want to see something very competitive mm-hmm. but yeah this was kind of a very long episode uh this 59 minutes but we wanted to <laughs> focus a little bit more on like the, the some of the bigger topics that surfaced because uh, these are some mega clubs that have failed in the Champions League and they've disappointed a lot recently. So we hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, please make sure to uh, rate rate us on iTunes. Give us a good rating because if you do and leave us a review, it kind of boosts our chances of getting seen higher to other people. Subscribe if you haven't. And you know we also have a YouTube channel at The Premier Pod that you can like, comment, subscribe and follow us on our social media at the Premier Pod, which is on Twitter and Instagram. We are active on both. And if you want to send us a question or anything, we'll be sure to reply and respond. So please make sure you guys do that. And once again, thank you guys so much for listening. That kind of wraps up episode 86 for us. Um, But yeah, guys, peace. Peace.